Good morning, and welcome to Church Online. It's been about two months since I've been able to see you guys. This is my first time being able to preach, so I just want to update you a few things, what's going on in my life, but we've been running youth the whole time. So every single week, we've been going on Zoom, meeting with all the students, playing games, activities, that kind of stuff, and it's been awesome to be able to connect. Uh, and there's something cool about it, right? Like there's lots of things that we can be uh, see as uh, a disappointment or not the way things used to be, but there's some cool things in it is uh, we get to see the kids at home. Uh, they're there, they're like comfortable, they're sitting in beanbag chairs or in a blanket fort, and they're eating popcorn or their favorite snack. They've got their dogs on their lap. We see their rooms and some people have climbing walls, uh, lights that change all different colors that has been really neat and cool to actually see people because you get to know people best when they're, when they're in their homes. Uh, so that's been a cool opportunity to be able to do that during youth. But there's been a few things over the past couple months that we've been doing. Uh, so the first thing is, this is like right at the beginning, that we got a quarantine haircut. Uh, that my wife has given me a quarantine haircut. And this was right after that Tiger King was a big deal. So I was like, is she going to give me a mullet? Uh, but it turned out okay. So thanks, Angel. Uh, we've also been watching tons of Disney+. Plus. They've got this Disney sing-along on there. And my daughter has at least watched it. 25 times this week, and I wish I was exaggerating that number. Uh, and we've eaten our words. Uh, we used to tell Lucy that before this thing started, that if we didn't want to go to the park, we told her that the park is closed. Uh, and now the park is actually closed, and all we want to do is get out of the house uh, and spend some time outside. Uh, so that's been really difficult. But during this time, many people have actually taken on many different roles. Uh, for example, uh, I've seen tons of people are making sourdough bread. Uh, and I, I must admit that I've gotten on this train too, and I've made a loaf, uh, or two, and it's actually so good. Uh, we've seen many people who are forced now actually to become teachers, um, who haven't done that before. And now they're teaching their kid and they're trying to figure out how do I teach grade eight math? Uh, and I keep hearing from parents that they say grade eight math, it has changed since I was a kid. Uh, I don't know if it's true, but I understand that it's hard. Uh, and you know what? Our teachers deserve a lot of credit. Uh, we've seen people... Uh, that have turned into motivational speakers, uh, that they try to motivate their families or their friends or, I mean, their kids or their spouse or even themselves just to get through each day. We've seen people become TikTok stars. Uh, we've seen people become barbers like my wife. We've seen people become baristas all over the place making that whipped coffee. We've seen people become mechanics as they're starting to have time to do work on their vehicles that they haven't had time to do. So when we're asked, uh, who are you? Uh, during this pandemic, or who are you during this time of self-isolation? Uh, the list goes on and on and on. And I think the thing that I am the most tired of or find the most difficult uh, during this quarantine, uh, my wife and I are uh, being our daughter's only friends. Uh, she is exhausting and demanding and her energy never runs out. But this morning, we we're picking up our story. We've been reading through the Gospel of Mark, and we we're picking up our story in Mark chapter 8, starting at verse 27. So at home, feel free to grab your Mark journals, your Bibles, uh, follow along as we start to read this. But this is where we enter in the story. Jesus is with his disciples, uh, and they are in Caesarea of Philippi. So Caesarea is this area. So if we look at this map here, um, Caesarea is right up there of Philippi. And this uh, area is dedicated to Roman rule. The city itself was named after Caesar. Uh, and it's got a temple honoring the emperor as Lord and liberator. But Jesus came. When Jesus came, he came to bring in and usher in this new kingdom. 
that he was Lord and Liberator, and it looked uh, a completely different way than the ways that it was looking in Rome. So this is the setting in which we enter the story, uh, that they're in this area with the Romans, uh, this rule and authority, and Jesus is starting to ask his disciples, uh, who do people say that I am? Uh, right as he's establishing this kingdom. So we get this passage right here in Mark 8, 27. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? Uh, so who is Jesus? Uh, if we were to ask our friends, uh, maybe people outside the church, because inside the church, maybe we've got this Sunday school answer where we know the answer. Uh, but if we were to ask people outside of the church, uh, some of our friends, who would they say that people, uh, who would they say that Jesus is? Uh, we just finished. So for this whole thing, we just, we're working through the Youth Alpha series. And in the Youth Alpha series, they ask this question. They say, who is Jesus? And here are some of the answers that they gave. They said, hey, he's some guy on the cross, or he's a wise person. Or he's the son of God, the savior, he's a historical figure, he's a prophet, he's a miracle worker or a magician. Uh, he's just that long-haired guy who's having a hard time talking to Mel Gibson. Uh, we all have a whole lot, we have a whole lot of people in our lives who would say many different things about who Jesus is. Um, but what do the people in Jesus' time say about Jesus? Those who aren't his disciples, those who aren't in the inner core, what do they say about Jesus? Um, so the disciples come in and they say this in verse 28. And they told him, John the Baptist and others say Elijah. Um, and others say one of the prophets. You see, the people around Jesus held him with high esteem. Uh, that they seen that his authority was not of man, but it was actually of God. You know, they were close uh, to the truth, but they were still missing something. So Jesus goes on and he asks his disciples, uh, he asked them, but who do you say I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell nobody about him. So Peter steps in on behalf of the disciples. And he says, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ. You are Lord. You are the one from the line of David who's come to establish God's kingdom. Uh, this is something that us as readers, uh, that we've actually known this since Mark 1.1. Right from the beginning, we've got this picture uh, and these titles of who Jesus is. So we've known the truth, but we start to discover that the disciples start to figure this out too. And here we get to celebrate with Peter as he's finally got the answer right. Uh, but we quickly realize that maybe he's got the answer right, um, but maybe his heart isn't quite in the right place. Um, so we're celebrating for Peter and the disciples that they've got this figured out. And then we get this passage next in Mark eight thirty one. Um, and he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind of things of God, but things of man. Ouch. Uh, we see Peter who, who's got this right, right? We're cheering Peter. Uh, yeah, Peter, you got this right. And all of a sudden, uh, he just gets rebuked in front of all of his friends. Uh, I grew up in a small town. And in that small town was a small school. And in that school was every single member of my family. Uh, that my parents worked at the school, my siblings went there. And you know, when you're in 
junior high or high school, you don't always do the things that you should be doing. Uh, I remember I'm hanging out with my friends and I'm goofing off with my friends and my mom would walk by as she was a teacher's assistant uh, and she all she had to say was Colton uh, or uh, even just give me like this little glance uh, and I already knew it was almost like this rebuking of smarten up and my friends would notice and they would see it uh, and they'd be like, oh, and then I'd be, I felt like I was just embarrassed in those moments. But then we think about Peter, uh, this phrase that Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, that this is this huge rebuke and he's saying it in front of his friends, like talk about like these high highs to this low, low. Um, but why was Peter being rebuked? Uh, I don't think Peter was being rebuked because he didn't understand Jesus. I think he was being rebuked because he did understand Jesus. Uh, But what Jesus was saying was not lining up with who Peter thought the Messiah would be. Uh, He thought the Messiah would be somebody who would come, that would liberate them from the Romans, that would set them free, that would establish God's kingdom here on earth right now uh, by force. And Jesus came and he said that he was going to suffer and he was going to die. Uh, that this doesn't seem like a Messiah that Peter wanted to follow or the one that he signed up to follow. Uh, You see, Peter's answer was right, but his heart was wrong. He didn't truly understand what Jesus was doing and what Jesus was telling him and what Jesus wanted. Peter wanted the good that Jesus brought, but he didn't see the whole story. Um, Last week, Matt shared a story of this blind man who's at the gate. And this blind man uh, he saw Jesus coming and he was wanting him to heal him and Jesus went over to heal him uh, and he like spat in his hands and he put in the, the guy's eyes and he touched him and then he could see. Uh, but he could only see and the people looked like trees. He couldn't see in full and then Jesus touched him again and he could finally see everything clearly. Uh, this is a, That story is actually telling what's going on here. Uh, the people around Jesus... They weren't quite seeing clearly. Uh, the people around him the, they, who said that he was a prophet, maybe those are the people that were blind. Uh, Peter is the guy who's been touched once, uh, that he can see, but he can only see in part. That he gets the answer right, but he gets his heart wrong. What Jesus wants to do here is he actually wants to heal Peter. Uh, he wants to touch Peter again so that Peter can actually see clearly who Jesus is. Jesus says, get, get behind me, Satan. Uh, Is there any bigger insult than that? Those are incredibly shocking words. Uh, But the reader right away jumps back into all those stories where we've seen Jesus rebuke Satan already. Uh, We've seen that right at the beginning where he's baptized, he goes into the desert, and Satan is wanting him to take the easy way out. Uh, He is wanting him, uh, he's tempting him to take the easy way out. We see it when Jesus rebukes him there. We also see it, Jesus rebukes The demons, every single time that he casts a demon out, that right here, what Peter is trying, what Peter is doing is he's playing the role of Satan. Uh, That Satan is using him uh, to tell Jesus the human expectations, to actually take the easy way out. You don't have to follow through with this. This isn't right. Uh, The enemy is using a tactic, uh, including some of the people who are closest to Jesus, uh, his disciples, that he was tempting Jesus through Peter. Uh, Peter's thoughts are human thoughts. Not divine. They're human ways, not God's. Jesus is declaring that when the human way opposes God's way, it's demonic. The divine way corresponds to the teachings and the lifestyle of Jesus. So get behind me, Satan. Uh, Peter's trying to give Jesus the easy way out, but Jesus knows uh, that there is more to that. We hear this passage uh, sometimes just as this cruel rebuke to Peter, but I think there's something more that's going on here. I think that Jesus is rebuking Peter because he actually wants to heal Peter. 
Uh, he wants to touch him again so that he can see clearly. Jesus is saying, nice try, Peter, but your eyes still need to be healed. Get behind me uh, and follow me so that you can see me more clearly. In grade nine, I played badminton. And I thought, I don't know if that's full reality, but I thought that I was the best uh, badminton player in junior high. And we were playing, uh, and the, I'm beating everybody in our, uh, on our team. And again, right, maybe that's not that great of a feat because it was a pretty small school. Uh, but in there, I thought, maybe I think I'm better than our coach. I think I know more. I think I'm better. I don't know how this happened. I think I maybe challenged our coach to a game, and we started to play badminton. And, you know, my coach, he played hockey growing up, and he could only really lift his arm this high because of an old hockey injury. So I thought, man, this is going to be a walk in the park. I'm going to beat this guy. Uh, I start playing, and he mops the floor with me. Uh, and right there, he didn't have to say a word. But in there, right away, I knew that I needed to get behind him, uh, that I needed to follow him, and there was a lot more that I could learn. I think that's what's going on here. Peter, or Jesus is calling Peter back to following uh, so that he can truly see uh, who Jesus is. The story continues in Mark chapter 8, starting at verse 34. And calling the crowds to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but to forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words um, in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Uh, we see here that Peter gets rebuked because he takes on the role of Satan. Uh, Satan embodies just this refusal to sacrifice, this refusal to lose one's life, this refusal to humble himself and get behind somebody. Discipleship calls us to get behind Jesus. Uh, it says this, I just want to highlight this verse again. If anybody would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Uh, reading this verse, it doesn't really make much sense. I mean, I was always taught, if you want to gain something, you go out and get it. Uh, you don't lose something to gain something. When you lose something, you just lose something. But what Jesus is calling us here is to follow, uh, and this follow is not an easy journey. It demands a lot. Uh, at this point in the Gospels, we see this, this massive shift. We see this shift in language from this word immediately uh, to this word the way. Uh, the pace beforehand is really quick. I mean, immediately, we've heard Matt say it 132 times during this sermon series. Uh, I went back. I counted every single time. Uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, Matt has said it a lot, and there's a reason for that. Because up to this point, immediately is said over 40 times. 
Um, so there is something important about that. There's this quick pace, uh, this pace that allows so many people to follow Jesus quickly, right? Uh, they're following him to hear his teaching, to see his miracles, to see uh, his healings, to receive a quick blessing. It's easy, and it seems almost easy, to gain this quick following when all you do is give, 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 and people are just receiving, receiving, receiving. Last week, Matt shared a story of the feeding of 4,000. Uh, not including women and children. There could have been up to 10,000 people there following Jesus that we see that the crowds grew, that they were just hanging off of every word that came out of his mouth, hoping for a miracle, hoping for a healing, uh, hoping for a sign. They said, and after seeing all this, they said that he is a great prophet. Everybody loves the immediate blessing. It's easy to receive when all we're doing is just getting, getting, getting. Then the language shifts from immediately uh, to the way. The story from now on actually slows down greatly. It slows down greatly as Jesus is working his way down to Jerusalem. Uh, he's working his way to the cross and it slows down. In doing so, the journey um, is now not just what you get. Uh, Jesus is actually calling something out of his disciples. Uh, it's what you give to God as well as what you've been getting. Uh, so we see, right, that Jesus was actually somebody who was willing to give it all to God. Uh, to surrender his ideas or his, uh, yeah, what, maybe what he wanted, he just surrendered it to the Father. And what does that look like? Uh, we see right away that Jesus actually surrendered his popularity. Uh, that Jesus had that 10,000 people following him. And as we follow this journey, we start to realize uh, by the end, he only had a few people left at the cross. Jesus wasn't there to be popular. Or call us to an easy journey where all we do is receive. He was calling us uh, to lose things. That Jesus was actually willing to lose everything for God. Jesus' way to the cross was one that also involved great suffering. It was no longer just receiving or just uh, Jesus giving and us taking, but it was giving everything up. Giving up his comfort, his health, his body, and eventually his life. Get in line behind me. Get behind me. Uh, Jesus means, uh, when he says this, that we must actually follow Jesus in his footsteps on this path along the way. So, let's go back to the question right at the beginning of this passage. Who do you say Jesus is? Uh, Jesus' question at the beginning of this passage is really important uh, as he calls us to get behind him, to lose everything, to pick up our own cross and to follow him. Jesus and, Jesus and his disciples... Um, yeah, we're walking through this area that was dedicated to the rulers of Rome. Um, but now Jesus is saying, I'm introducing this new kingdom uh, where I'm king uh, over Caesar. And what does that look like? Who do you say I am and what are you willing to lose? Uh, and I think this is really important. I think who we say Jesus is uh, determines what we are willing to lose. Our definition of Jesus determines what we are willing to lose. That if we just say that Jesus was a good person, Right? He's a good teacher, he's a wise person, he's a miracle worker, he was some dude in history, or even a prophet like Elijah or John. If that's all we say Jesus is, then we, then all we are, we are just open to this immediate journey, uh, this constant receiving. Uh, we still get to keep our comfort, our time, our finances, our blessings. We continue uh, to accumulate stuff, trying to find the meaning of life and whatever that looks like. There's so much we can receive from God, and these are good things. Right? God is a good God and he wants to bless his children. Um, but if that's the only thing we're following Jesus for, we've missed the point. We continue to search for life, but we never really find it. 
we find ourselves exhausted by the journey. We've gained the whole world, but we've forfeited our souls. Uh, here's a, here's a, a quote from Tim Getter. It says this, Humans cannot save themselves. They can only lose themselves and find salvation in the one they follow. So who is Jesus? If we were to answer the question like Peter, um, but not truly believe uh, that Jesus is the Christ, right? Peter had the answer right. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. And I think quite often that we can actually just become content with saying that. I think that is a great ploy of the enemy. Uh, that he is completely content with us just saying that uh, Jesus is the Messiah, but for it to make no immediate impact in our life. But are we actually willing to not just say Jesus is Christ, but actually to change our lives? Let that change us. Uh, are we willing to lay down our whole lives um, and say that Jesus is our Lord and Savior? Are we, are we willing to pick up our cross and to follow him? That doesn't mean that we necessarily have to die because we're following Christ. Um, what that means is no matter how difficult the way, we are willing to sacrifice our plans for God's. Because we truly know that losing is true receiving. Now, this doesn't mean that there isn't blessing because there is great, there's a greater blessing than we can ever imagine. For whoever loses their life for God will save it. Jesus knows what he is saying. When he says, pick up your cross and follow him, that that isn't the final answer. That death is not the final answer. We need to keep this in mind. That the cross does not just lead to death, it leads to living. The end of the road for discipleship is not the crucifixion, it's the resurrection. So what are we willing to lose? We're only willing to lose things if we say that Jesus is Lord. Uh, that I'm not the Lord of my life. Um, so maybe we can, what, what are things that we can lose? Uh, maybe we can lose caring for what other people think. And when we actually lose that, we find, cre- we find freedom in who God has created us to be. Uh, we lose all the other voices that are around and all we hear is the voice that God is, is speaking to us. That we are loved, that we are children, that we are cared for. Uh, lose looking, maybe we can lose looking for in life um, of just accumulating stuff, of just receiving, of just getting. Uh, if we just actually lose uh, lose the accumulation, uh, maybe we find that everything we have is actually a blessing. Uh, if we lose our worry and we hand it over to God, we can actually find joy. If we lose fear, we find courage. If we lose uh, our own definition of the meaning of life, we try to find, we can actually find the true meaning of life and what God brings. If we lose our control to our life, to actually having to be control of every little thing, to be the Lord of our life, we learn that God has gifted you, or that we can find rest from exhaustion, uh, you can find freedom. If we lose our desire to only receive from Jesus, the immediate, the blessing, if we just lose that desire, we can learn that God has actually gifted us uh, that he has gifted you, and that you have a lot to give. So what areas what areas in our lives do we need to lose to actually gain resurrection life in Jesus? Uh, to lose yourself brings a blessing in your life. Lose your human desires and look what's after God's. The way to truly experiencing resurrection life here and now is to lose yourself, uh, to pick up your cross, to get in line behind Jesus, to sacrifice our human desire and to live for God's. Uh, we might experience short-term pain as we're adjusting to this new life, 
but in the end, we are actually able to experience this resurrection life that God has intended for each one of us. Who we say Jesus is makes all the difference as we get behind Jesus and we follow his way. Let me pray. God, thank you. Thank you for setting an example for us. Uh, that we don't have to uh, walk this path alone, that we can actually just walk this path and get behind you. Uh, Lord, that you have offered this new life, this resurrection life that we can get from you. Uh, So Lord, just help us. Help us in this painful and this difficult journey of losing things, of taking our cross and following you. God, help us to do that. Thank you for the hope that there's more. Thank you that the cross is not the final answer, but resurrection is, and that we can experience that resurrection life in you. So, Lord, I just pray for all those who are trying to do everything on their own that we can actually just surrender. And as we surrender, we actually gain new life in you. And we thank you for that. Amen. Thank you so much, worship team, for leading us. Uh, As we're going about our week, I've got a few questions for you guys just to ponder and think about. Uh, Number one is, who do you say that Jesus is? Uh, Number two, in what ways do you need to get behind Jesus? What ways does he want to bring you healing so that you can see clearly? Uh, number three, what do you need to lose to follow Jesus on the way? As this journey slows down from immediate and starts to slow down, uh, what, what things do we have to lose to follow Jesus? And what areas in your life is Jesus wanting to bring resurrection life uh, that we lose, that Jesus actually wants you to experience life to the fullest? Uh, so thanks for joining. We'll see you guys again next week.